In the year 1815, a massive volcano erupted in what we would now call Indonesia. It was the most massive volcanic explosion of modern times. It not only caused destruction all across that island nation, but the smoke and ash rose into the atmosphere and spread across the globe with devastating impact. Skies darkened, temperatures fell, crops failed. In the ensuing global famine, livestock all over the world was slaughtered for food or left to die, including millions and millions of horses. And so all at once, the, the world lost its, its one reliable form of transportation for, for work and for commerce. Well, into that void stepped a German inventor named Karl von Dreis. And he came up with the idea of attaching two spoked wheels to a wooden frame that could be propelled by a single rider balancing on a small seat. And so the bicycle was born and became the primary mode of transportation around the world for work and travel. Well, economists and business leaders love to tell that story because it illustrates how disruption can lead to innovation. When a familiar way of doing something is suddenly taken away, that void creates space for, for something new to emerge, often a better way to emerge. But in order for that to happen, someone needs to step into that space, that creative space, and come up with something new, rather than than trying to run back to the way things used to be. Well, last, last Sunday, we acknowledged that we are finding ourselves this year in a great disruption. Uh, the global pandemic, all this social and political unrest, extreme weather events, all these things have completely upended every aspect of contemporary life. We have all been knocked out of our familiar boxes. And it would be really easy to get caught up in this downward spiral of stress and uncertainty and anxiety and loneliness. And so as individuals and as a church, as families, as a society, we're all trying to find a way through all of this to, to whatever might be waiting for us on the other side. And so this year here at Grace, we're turning our attention to Jesus believing that he can lead us through all this disruption to new and better things. So last Sunday, we introduced a, a spiritual pathway. We're calling it the upward spiral of spiritual reformation, believing that, that, that God wants to reform our hearts and our homes and our church this year. Now, it all sounded really great, nice and hopeful last Sunday. It preached well from a beautiful beach on Vision Sunday. But here we are this Sunday, back in an empty sanctuary. This place is kind of a wreck, actually. If you looked around, there's, there's instruments all over the place, tech gear scattered around, coffee cups. It doesn't look the way we usually like our worship spaces to look. 
We don't know when we'll be back in person together again, and when we're still facing all the challenges of the year 2020. No one likes disruption. It's hard. It's unsettling. It's disorienting. I got to thinking about some of the disruptions in my life over the years. The tragic death of my grandfather when I was 12 years old. Disrupting my otherwise idyllic childhood. Going off to college far away from home and family, friends and church and having to figure things out on my own, including my faith. Getting married and having children. I mean, wonderful disruptions that brought me great joy but also that stretched me and, and rearranged every aspect of my life. Coming to Grace Chapel after, after 16 years of fruitful ministry in a familiar place, finding myself suddenly overwhelmed by, by the demands of a large church and, and the struggles of, of my wife and my kids, an unfamiliar cultural context, including the reversal of a curse that completely upended my baseball universe. Talk about a disruption. Well, speaking of coming to Grace Chapel, I need to pause here for a moment and just say thank you for many of you who have expressed love and affirmation here in this past week in celebration of my 20 years at Grace Chapel. Uh, lots of nice... Facebook messages and people dropping off coffee and donuts at my house, a, a drive-by parade that the staff put on for me. It's all been really meaningful, really encouraging to me, especially in these strange times when we, we feel so disconnected from each other, so unsure of ourselves. Friends, God has been more than good to me and to my family and to us over these 20 years, and I am deeply grateful to him and to you. But it doesn't change the fact that that first year here at Grace was really one of the most disruptive years of my life. And as a family, I wasn't sure we were going to make it through. And I've got to believe that all of us are feeling a little bit of that that desperation, that disorientation as we try to make our way through this crazy year of 2020. So let's take a closer look at this upward spiral. Let's kind of unpack it week by week as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke. Today we're going to focus on the first movement of that spiral, which we're calling simply disruption or a pivotal disruption. We'll talk about why disruption is so pivotal and how following Jesus might lead us to a new and better place. So we're going to look at another one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of Luke. It's Jesus' first sermon back in his hometown of Nazareth. Now it also turned out to be his last sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, as we're going to find out in just a minute. So let's just enjoy the story for a little while, and then we'll kind of draw some observations and lessons from it. So it begins in Luke chapter 4 with verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, 
and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So the story said in the early days of Jesus' ministry, as he gained popularity and notoriety for his preaching and his miracles. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, don't miss what's happening here. Jesus is returning to his, to his hometown, where he lived for 30 years in relative obscurity. And suddenly, after a few weeks or maybe a few months out on the road, he, he's, he's become something of a celebrity. Remember, rabbis were, were rock stars in that ancient world, kind of like pastors are today. Maybe not so much. But, but here he is, this, this local boy made good coming home for a visit. So it's no surprise when time came in the service for someone to preach, they called on Jesus. Come on, young man, show us, show us what you got. Now we're told that they handed him the prophet Isaiah, but it seems as though he chose the actual passage he was going to speak from. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now it comes from what we would call Isaiah chapter 61, and it would have been a favorite of that congregation. It looked forward to the day of, it looked forward to the year of Jubilee, when, when debts were canceled, when land was returned, when prisoners were set free. But it also looked forward to, to the coming of God's Messiah, the anointed one, who, who would vanquish all of Israel's enemies and put everything right with the world. It was a real crowd pleaser. The congregation would have, would have put their cell phones down and leaned in, just like you're doing right now. I wonder what he's going to say. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, Jesus likely said more than that, but uh, Luke is giving us the big idea. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wait, what? They must have said. Is he saying that, that these things are going to come to pass today, here, now? It sure sounded like he was saying that, that the Messianic age, the, the day they'd been looking forward to, was about to begin. I mean, this was good news. The people ate it up. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. You can see the men kind of nudging each other in the pew. The kid can preach, they might have said. You can see the women who would have been sitting off to the side in their own section, whispering to themselves, I had him back in Sabbath school. Such a nice boy. I mean, they loved it. They couldn't wait to get to the lobby and shake his hand. Wonderful sermon, Rabbi. Remember church lobbies? <laughs> 
I, I miss those handshakes and those, those kind words. And if Jesus had just quit there, they all could have left feeling good about their day at church and gone home to enjoy some lunch and, and a nap and to watch the rest of the game. But Jesus didn't quit there. Because Jesus didn't come to Nazareth to please the hometown crowd, to send them home feeling fat and happy. He came to Nazareth to disturb things to disrupt their familiar Sabbath routine, to break them out of the religious boxes they were stuck in and invite them to follow him to something new and better. Well, let, 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 let's finish the story and, and then we'll get to the point. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. You see, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. And it wasn't just amazement. It was skepticism. Isn't he just the carpenter's son? I mean, where does he get off saying stuff like that? I haven't seen any of these miracles, have you? They didn't like this upstart rabbi messing with their Sabbath service. They liked their familiar routine and their predictable sermons. But Jesus kept going. In fact, he put his foot on the gas. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. Well, hold on now. As the saying goes, Jesus has gone beyond preaching to meddling. He compares the good people of Nazareth to, to sinful people living in the days of the prophets Elijah and, and Elisha. Now, right about now, some of us are probably hearing in our heads an old popular worship song from, from back in the 90s. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the words of the Lord. People loved that song, remember? As soon as the music started, eyes would close, hands would go in the air, congregations would sing their hearts out. The funny thing is, the days of Elijah and Elisha were some of the worst days in Israel's history. They were days of idolatry and rebellion when the word of God was not welcomed and not received. In fact, things were so bad in the days of Elijah and Elisha the prophets couldn't even offer miracles to their own people. They had to offer them to, to, to Gentiles, like, like the widow at Zarephath. They, they had to offer them to their enemies, like Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army. 
Was Jesus accusing the good people of Nazareth of being as complacent and unbelieving as the people of Elijah and Elisha's day? Was he suggesting that unless they listened up and changed their hearts, that they too might forfeit God's favor and miss what he wanted to do? Talk about disruption. Jesus hadn't just stepped outside of the box. He'd set it on fire. He pretty much ruined their favorite day of the week. And now he was challenging their very way of life, calling into question all their familiar practices and ways. So, so what would they do with this moment? Now that he had exposed the, the shallowness of, of their faith, now that he had uncovered their hardened hearts, would they hear the urgency in his voice? Would they lean in? This is tough stuff, Jesus, but, but, but tell us more. Would they follow him to something new and better? Let's keep reading. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him up to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Wow. I've gotten some angry emails after preaching. I've had some tough conversations in the lobby between services. But no one's ever tried to throw me off a cliff, even after 20 years at Grace Chapel. Sounds like people didn't lean into the moment. Like they didn't exactly embrace this disruption. Sounds like they weren't about to let some rabbi disturb their peace, even if it did come from the scriptures. You know what another writer, Mark, tells us about this incident, about this return to Nazareth? He writes, he could do he could not do any miracles there and was amazed at their lack of faith. So Jesus left the good people of Nazareth behind, the people he had known and loved since he was a child, the people among whom he wanted to do new and good things. But he had to leave them behind. And he moved on in search of people who might be willing to listen, who might be willing to follow him to something new and better. It's a great story. But, but what does it all mean for, for our disruptive moment? And I'm not talking about this sermon. I'm talking about this year in which we find ourselves. As I said last week, I don't believe that Jesus sent this pandemic. I don't believe that he prompted these acts of injustice. I don't believe that he is inciting these riots. I don't believe he's sending the hurricanes and the fires. The simple truth is we are fallen people living on a fallen planet. Disruption happens for all kinds of reasons, and for reasons we may never fully understand. 
Sometimes it feels like for no reason. But when disruption does happen, Jesus wants to meet us there. He wants to meet us outside the box of what's normal and perhaps lead us somewhere better. See, disruption is pivotal because it, it does two things at least. First, it exposes what's been hidden. It exposes what's been hidden. Disruption reveals what's wrong. Even when it's something that, that we hadn't noticed, something we hadn't been paying attention to because we've been distracted, because life has been going along just like normal. Disruption exposes it. I think of those incidents in my own life. My grandfather's death exposed me to grief and loss and the reality of evil in the world. Going off to college revealed my dependence on my family and friends and church. Marriage and parenting exposed my selfishness and, and an anger that I didn't really know was there. The first year at Grace exposed all of my inadequacies and, and insecurities. I didn't like any of those disruptions, but they exposed things that, that I needed to face, that I somehow needed to grow beyond. So disruption exposes what's been hidden. The second thing disruption does is to create space for something new. Create space for something new. Uh, like the absence of horses leading to the invention of the bicycle. You know, we had such a, a good time filming on the beach last week. We, we were trying to find another cool place to film this Sunday service. Maybe a volcano somewhere. <laughs> In the end, we decided that the, the best place to film this service would be right here in an empty sanctuary. This place should be full of people right now, singing and praying and listening and putting money in the offering plate. Just kidding. There should be kids running through the hallways listening to Bible stories. There should be teenagers hanging out, talking to their friends, talking to their leaders. There should be conversations over coffee. There should be hands joined in prayer, people making connections and taking next steps. Our campuses are empty this morning, and we don't like it. But what will we do with the spaces that they're left behind? And I don't mean these physical spaces. I mean the spaces in our, in our schedules, the spaces in our routine the spaces in our everyday lives. What are you doing with your Sunday mornings and with your weeknights now that you're not running to church buildings once or twice or three times a week? Are you finding new ways to connect with God or, or with your family or with, with your neighbors? I got an email this week from a, from a family at Grace. Uh, the mom writes, we want you to know that we love the virtual church experience. Sundays have become calm, unrushed, and meaningful in our home. 
After the service ends, we are immediately in our neighborhood, the place we never used to have enough time to be when the busyness of Sunday and other in-person church obligations kept us away. We love getting to experience the talents of a variety of worship leaders and volunteers. And we found we've been more consistent in our attendance over the summer. No matter where we are, we can still have our Sunday worship. Our daughter has been thriving in virtual kids town. She loved Kids Week, and the Sunday at Home videos are perfect. We value the chance to watch them all together, discussing what's being taught and answering questions. We can see the love of Jesus growing in her and being fed each week. The beach worship and baptism were exceptionally beautiful, and two things we would not have experienced with church as usual. Now, will that family be glad to, to be back in the building again one of these days? I hope so. I think so. But in the meantime, this disruption has created space for God to do some new things in, in their hearts and in their family life. And I hope those new things will keep going even in the new normal. So what will you do with the time and money and energy that's been freed up by COVID-19's disruption? Not only the disruption to church, but but disruption to, 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 to shopping and sports and, and, and travel and entertainment. What will you do with all the resources that are suddenly available to you? And how about those other disruptions, the racial and political ones? As, as uncomfortable as they are, as much as we'd rather not have to face them and maybe rather not have to talk about them, especially in church, might there be an opportunity here to take an honest look at ourselves, to, to see what's being exposed here, a chance for God to speak into our lives, to lead us to new and better places? You know, when I look at how the people of Nazareth responded to, to Jesus' preaching, I think of all the times I have found myself annoyed at a preacher or a speaker. The times I've gotten defensive when someone has accused me of, of something. Uh, me, a racist? Me, a materialist? It's made, it's made me wonder that, that maybe the times we feel most defensive and angry, the times we most feel like walking out of the room, the times we feel like firing off an, an angry social media post, maybe those are the times we need to put down our phones and lean in and listen for the disturbing voice of Jesus. You know, the interesting thing about this scene in the synagogue is that it actually happens a little bit later in Jesus' ministry. But as Luke arranges his material, he chooses to tell it up front, on purpose. He, he wants to set the pace for us. He wants us to understand the disruptive nature of Jesus' ministry. In fact, the disruption begins before Jesus even shows up. An elderly couple's golden years are disrupted by an unexpected pregnancy. Mary and Joseph's engagement is disrupted by an even more unexpected pregnancy. 
And then that pregnancy is disrupted by a census. The Judean countryside is disrupted when John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness preaching fire and brimstone. And then Jesus shows up, ruining a perfectly good Sabbath day. And this isn't the last time he'll do this thing. Jesus is going to make a career out of blowing up synagogue services. And he's going to cap it off by overturning tables in the very temple itself. Every time we turn the page in Luke's gospel, Jesus is stepping outside of some box of acceptable behavior and religious practice. He heals on the Sabbath. He touches lepers. He, he, he forgives sinners. He eats with sinners. He talks to Samaritans. He empowers women. Every time Jesus speaks, he's knocking over some box and setting it on fire. Woe to you who are rich and well-fed, he says to people who are an awful lot like us. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and to those who might be on the other side of the political aisle. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? He asks, no, I have come to bring fire and how I wish it were already kindled. Forget about gentle Jesus, meek and mild. According to Luke, he's disruptor in chief. And there's a reason for that. There's something about disruption that exposes our hardened hearts and creates space for something new to be planted and bear fruit. There's a story that Jesus tells later on in Luke's gospel about a farmer who goes out to sow some seed. Some of the seed falls on, on hard soil, some of it falls on thorny soil, and some of it falls on rocky soil. None of those seeds take root or bear fruit. But the seed that falls on good soil produces a bumper crop a hundred times what was sown. Now, I have heard and preached that story my whole life, but it was only recently I, I stopped to think about what made the good soil good soil. It was prepared. It was plowed. No self-respecting farmer going to throw valuable seed on untilled soil. He's going to turn that soil over and create spaces where, where the seed can settle in, where it can find shelter from the sun and the birds, where moisture can collect and, and nourish its growth. The disruptive blade of the plow creates furrows where seeds can fall and take root and begin to grow and bear fruit. And so it is that God sometimes allows and sometimes speaks disruption into our lives. It's to soften the soil of our hardened hearts and to create spaces for, for seeds of the kingdom to be, to be planted and to grow and to bear fruit. Disruption 
leads to discovery when we allow it to make space for something new. My grandfather's death awakened me to the human need for, for hope and comfort. And that would serve me well as a pastor. Interestingly, it also began my grandmother's journey to a faith of her own, like my grandfather's, and inspired my brother's distinguished career as a police officer. That first year of college was rough. I nearly transferred to a school closer to home where some of my friends were, a school just up the road from here, in fact. But by God's grace, I stayed and, and experienced some of the most formative years of my life there. Marriage and parenting schooled me in the disciplines of sacrifice and servanthood, and of course led me into the greatest and deepest joys I've known as a person. Coming to Grace Chapel brought me to my knees, but it opened up space for God to do more than any of us could have asked or imagined. And so 2020 has busted up our lives like a plow breaking through hardened soil. It's been rough. But what seeds might God be planting in this great disruption? What new priorities and practices might take place in your home? What new ministries might emerge in these, emerge in these empty spaces here at Grace Chapel? What new people might we reach now that the church has left the building and we moved out into the community and into online spaces? And how about the disruption caused by the social and racial injustice. What blind spots, what ignorance, what prejudice might be uncovered by these honest and searching conversations? What seeds of healing and justice might, might take root in our hearts and bring healing to our community, to our world? No one likes disruption. But we better get used to it if we want to follow Jesus out of our boxes into new and better things. In fact, we'd better lean into it because we don't want to miss whatever new things God might want to do right here in our hometown. We'd like to allow ourselves a few moments just to do just that to lean in and listen to what the Spirit of Jesus might be saying. So as, as we enjoy this next song, let's ask the Lord to expose something, to, to speak something new into our lives. <laughs> 